Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this day and for this scripture. Lord, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to what you have for us today. Uh, Lord, let us be your vessels. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. If you want to join me in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through, I think I changed that, 11 through 16. 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 16. 1 through 16 was too much. We'll be there in just a minute. So a standard of living, right? We talk about a standard of living. It's a degree of wealth or material comfort or services available to a person or to a community. A standard of living is relevant because it is considered to contribute to an individual's quality of life, the things that we enjoy, the things that we love, the things that make us feel comfortable. And when we talk about setting a standard, we are referring to setting or establishing a certain level of quality, a, a degree that maybe others haven't achieved or have achieved. And that may be in different areas of life, financial, career, relational, and it doesn't matter what class or race or culture or socioeconomic position, we all have standards that we want to live up to. We might set our goals at a very early age and work toward them our whole life. Like when I was growing up, I, I wanted to be, you know, the president. But here I am. But we want to work toward them. I'm not working toward being a president. Absolutely not. We might struggle financially in life too, right? As many families in this day and time do. And their goal and their standard may be short term. We just want to survive. We just want to be able to eat. Whether rich or poor or in the middle, we all have to set a standard of how we choose to live. But what determines that standard for us, for each one of us? So 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 11 through 16 says, But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and for which you were made. The good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about in the right time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. If he alone who has immorality, immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in this, I titled today's message, Setting a Standard. Timothy is addressed as a man of God, and this is a, a, a title of honor. Uh, it was a title uh, in, given in the Old Testament. It's a title given to Moses. Samuel is described as a man of God. Timothy is not reminded of his own weaknesses and of his own sin. Rather, he is challenged to being God's man. 
It is the Christian way not to further depress a person by branding them as a lost and helpless sinner, but rather to uplift them by, by summoning them to be what uh, they have it within them to be. We want to lift each other up. We want to edify each other to, to help each other to be all that we have uh, been created to be. We've all been created for purpose, for good things. It, it was like the commissioning from a king. And the virtues that were set before Timothy are given in a specific order. And the first one is righteousness. And it is defined as giving both to others and to God their due. It's the most comprehensive of the virtues. The righteous person is one who does their duty to God and to others. We know what our responsibilities are to God. We, we have it clearly written for us to understand. And do unto others, right? Next, there comes a group of three virtues which look, which look toward God. Um, godliness is the reverence of one who never ceases to be aware that all Life is lived in the presence of God, right? We never lose sight that God is with us at all times. Faith is the virtue of one who, through all things, is loyal to God. Doesn't matter if it's good or bad, right? Doesn't matter if life is fast or slow. We live life in reverence to God. And the third is love. It's the virtue of the one who could never forget what God has done for us and what God has done for the world. Right? We all know John 3.16, we all know that God is love and that God gives love and that God, because of God's great love, His Son died for our sins. So we never forget what God has done for us. Then there comes the virtue of endurance. That's maintaining faith and piety in spite of adversity and suffering. Scripture says that we are going to suffer. We're going to suffer just like Jesus did, just like those who went before us did. But we are to maintain our endurance. We are to keep fighting the good fight, which he says later on. Then there comes the virtue of gentleness. We, we don't view ourselves as better than others, right? Rather than asserting superiority, someone who is gentle wants to help others, even when they've been done wrong. And that's hard. We, we use that phrase, let's take the high road. How many of y'all think the high road really stinks sometimes, right? Right? Sometimes just a good throat punching is, is called for. But we're called to take the high road, to love our neighbor even when they haven't loved us. Timothy is challenged to fight the good fight, to remember his baptism, and to remember the vows that he took, to make the same confession of faith that Jesus did, witnessing to the Lordship of Christ. It's one thing to say, I follow Christ, but it's, one, it's another thing completely to submit to the Lordship of Christ. He is the Lord of my life. He is the leading guiding force that is my life a huge difference timothy is challenged to remember that christ comes again and that we are working to satisfy christ we're not working to satisfy humanity we want to make people happy we do want to make people live better and and to to know their worth but, but don't lose sight we are living we are working to satisfy jesus christ But mostly, Timothy is challenged to remember God, the God of all, the creator, the sustainer, the one who is king of kings and lord of lords, the one who gives us life eternal. 
You know, most people don't think about how they set a standard in their lives. They, they, you know, they, studies show that there are three influences, though, that determine how you set those standards. The first influence is our parents. Our parents are always an influencer for us. Young people today commonly expect that they're going to live a life kind of the same as their parents. Maybe they're going to grow up and, and be like their parents or serve like their parents, do what their parents do. Then there's some that thinks I should do better than my parents. My parents have laid out a foundation for me, and I should do a little better. I should take it to the next level. I mean, I, for one, want my kids to do better than I have done, right? I want them to, to have great careers. I want them to be, to be um, uh, what is my, my, my mentor always says, he has raised useful children. I want to raise useful children that, that help others and that, that, that know that they serve something in society, Right? Economists say that if you are over the age of 50, you are enjoying a higher standard of living than any previous generation in the history of our nation. If you are over 50, you are enjoying a better life than people before us have. If you are under 50, then you will be the first generation that, that may not meet your parents' expectations. I don't know how they come up with this, but that's what they said. This is because of times changing Incomes changing, interest rates changing, inflation changing, the economy changing. After World War II, one wage earner was enough to support a family of four, right? But today it takes two wage earners to have the same standard of living. And people tend to set these unrealistic expectations by trying to match or even exceed their parents' lifestyle. The truth is, the ones coming in after us have it much harder than we did. The second influence is your peers. This is when your friends upgrade, right? And they get something new. They get that new boat or that new horse trailer for some of y'all. You know, we got to get the same thing or better, you know? Somebody gets a Honda 350. I need a Harley 350, right? We, we, we have to one-up, right? We have to beat the Joneses or at least keep up with them. The third influence is media and advertising, right? Studies have linked violence with TV viewing, but what about linking our spending habits with viewing television? It was calculated that the total expenditures in advertising in North America last year, 2021, was $297.5 billion. That is what was spent to encourage you to spend your money. They spent $297.5 billion to get you to spend your money. And companies use every resource available to make that happen. And they're not just selling a product, friends. They're selling a lifestyle. Right? These shows and the, the, the words, and, and they, they throw in the thing happiness. So many things are about your happiness. Even medications, you know, you don't have any idea what that is. Do you want to be happy? Latuda. Latu what the heck's Latuda? And how's it going to make me happy? There's constant pressure to have the latest and the newest products on the market, the iPhone 14. We are encouraged each week to buy our way to happiness. It doesn't take much, folks, to live beyond your means. It's said that we acquire this silent system of codes as we grow up, and these codes of what 
what love and food and work and money and health and others define what they really mean and represent for us as Americans. They're what make us distinctly American and affect the way we behave in our personal lives. And these codes help to set up this standard of living and your way of life. When Jesus said, follow me, he was inviting people into a lifestyle. He was calling them into a lifestyle. A way of life that touches and reshapes every aspect of yourself. When we talk about stewardship, we're not talking about just money. We're talking about your time and your talents and your treasures. How much does your faith and commitment to follow Jesus impact your life? Well, I'll tell you today, Jesus is saying to you today, follow me. He's asking you to set a standard. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and you can't serve money. You've got to choose one. How does your faith influence your lifestyle? How does it impact your worship? How does it influence your pursuit of spiritual growth? When you buy a book at the bookstore, is it for, for spiritual growth? Or is it just for entertainment? How does your faith influence your care for creation and your pursuit of justice on the behalf of others? How does your faith impact how you serve others? And how does your faith define who those others are? Does your faith determine who you relate to and how you treat others? Does your faith impact your sharing of your faith with others? I'll tell you, to let faith do all this, first you've got to let it get a hold of your life. If Jesus satisfies your soul, you don't need the latest and the greatest thing to feel good about yourself or to be happy. You've got to get a hold of what you believe. If Jesus, Jesus isn't in your heart, then something else will be, right? Only God satisfies. In, in Psalm 103, King David says, My God satisfies my soul. You see, Jesus is the only one that can offer true satisfaction, true joy, true happiness. We can't find it in this worldly stuff. When we focus on the things of the world, we begin to feel less and less a part of Christ. But as we take on more of the spiritual things, more of Jesus, more Scripture, more prayer, we begin to feel less and less a part of this world and more and more a part of God's kingdom and its values. And here's the hard one. You've got to let faith get a hold of your finances. This means tracking your spending, paying attention to where it's going. 80% of Americans owe more than they own. 80% of Americans owe more than their own. Too many people put themselves in the bondage of debt and raise the tension in their life that causes enormous stress. God's desire for you is, is a financial freedom, not bondage it, that you will be allowed to fulfill God's call to, to your tithe and to your, to your lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle. This will allow you to put away money for emergencies and for retirement, for the future. Third, let the Holy Spirit get a hold on you. The Holy Spirit wants to guide you in your values, guide you to the good decision making, guide you to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness to empower you in all of your decisions. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you, friends. 
It's that nudge that says, I think I ought to do that, or I don't think I ought to do that. Listen to that spirit. And as you go home today, I want you to leave with these three questions. First, what are your top three priorities? What evidence is there of them in your life, and how do they reflect your priorities with Jesus? What are your top three priorities, and how do they relate to Jesus? Second, whose lifestyle is more tempting for you to emulate, and why? Why do you want to have that lifestyle? And third, what issue do you need to address first? Your faith, your debt, surrendering your life. Whether you're rich or poor, all of us have set some standard of living. So I'm asking you today, if you haven't already, let Jesus guide you in setting the standard for your life. Look to His example as a roadmap to love and forgiveness. And try to imitate Him rather than your parents or your peers or the world. And fight the good fight. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.